Hello, and welcome to SFF Reverse Shot. I'm Sydney Film Festival Director Nishen Mudli. Each episode, we'll look back to the festival's archives to revisit our favorite filmmaker talks, hot topic panels, and thought-provoking Q&As. You'll hear from Australian and international filmmakers, plus actors and expert curators, on how they got their start, their career highlights, and the films that changed their lives. This week on Reverse Shot, we look back at Warwick Thornton's lively and thought-provoking film, We Don't Need a Map, which opened Sydney Film Festival in 2017. The film explores where the Southern Cross sits in the Australian psyche, taking viewers on a bold journey through our cultural and political landscape. You'll hear Thornton and the film's producer and co-writer, Brendan Fletcher, in conversation with Sandy George, recorded at the festival. The pair explain how they turned anger and news headlines into a powerful film and share what they learned along the way. Please enjoy. Language warning. This episode contains strong language. Now, in the program, there was a little story Mm. called the Southern Cross, the Eureka Flag and the Swastika, Mm. which I actually didn't know about that story. So could you please tell us a bit about that? It was all completely blown out so that we could get more media, basically. (laughs) No, I... after, After... I was up for Australian of the Year in, I think it was 2009 or 8, Northern Territory. G'day, everybody, Australian of the Year. And then, obviously, um, then you go and then you, you go in the lotto to become Australian of the Year. And the interesting thing is when, when, when I was on, you know, Australia Day, Canberra, you know, all the, the meet, meet the Prime Minister, um, all of that sort of stuff. And... You do a bit of media with it, and the interesting thing is when they were announcing the Australian of the Year, I was, I was going, please do not be me. Please not me. Please not me. Please not me. Because, you know, the pressure of that there, of championing your idea is not what I like. I like to, you know, there's so many wonderful ideas to champion rather than just one idea. And I kind of, I made some comments about, um, you know, to, to a wonderful newspaper, I just made a simple comment, and I should have been smarter than this, but I, I do tell the truth, and that's all I can do. Um, well, how deadly am I? <laughs> yes, I only tell the truth. Um, the, I, they said, what are you worried about, about you know, Australia and who we are and what, where we're going? And I, and I said, and this is truthful for me, is that I was worried that the, the, the Southern Cross is going on a journey of becoming something like the swastika. And nationalism, you know, which needs to claim a symbol to create its borders and it needs to grab that symbol and put it in a box and hold it very tightly to, the, you know, to nationalistic people's hearts, uh, us against them, you don't own this, I own this, that kind of concept. And, and, and obviously, when, so they printed that, you know what I mean? Uh, Warwick Thornton thinks the Southern Cross is, is the news, is the swastika, not is becoming, is the swastika. And a lot of people, a lot of people who get paid wonderful money to be right-wing loonies chucked a tantrum. And, and it scared the shit out of me, completely, you know, completely scared the shit out of me because the, these people, um, this is what they do for a living. And they're on the payroll of papers and, and 
certain other media organisations to, to be this way. And so they had a field day. And, and then the, the, faceless, um, the faceless people on, online having a wonderful field day. And I got really, really scared and then I went and hid under my doona on the lounge and switched the TV off for a couple of years. And, you know, and, and fear, fear for me becomes anger. And this is, this is how we work as a, as a nation, you know, fear. People make us fear, afraid so that we get angry and then we shut down and then we hide as a, as a country. We hide and then we go, keep them away from me, keep them, everyone away from me, you know which is our journey as a, as, a, as a country. I was doing it on the lounge by myself, you know what I mean? And I'm really bad at turning fear into, into an energy, a positive energy, but I'm very good at turning anger into a positive energy. And it took a couple of years about going, and then, and then, and, and I hope there's no children in the room, but it was like, well, fuck them, I'm gonna do something about this. They throw rocks at me, I'm gonna go and buy some hand grenades, I'm gonna throw it back. And, and I'm, I've got a, you know, I've been very fortunate that people have handed me a lot of microphones for me to speak my mind, and it's sort of like, and I can make a movie, and I know how to make movies, I think, you know, and it's kind of like, well, that's, I, I'm all right at this, I'm all right at making movies, so let's make a movie about it, and that's kind of where it began. Was there like a thing that got you off the couch, and or a thing that turned that anger into making it into a movie, or like, when was that, why was that? My lover. My lover got me off the, the, the couch. Pretty sure that's not true. <laughs> we, um, we, were, we were living in a house together. We called, it, we called it the house of steak and tears, you know, two blokes, um, single, kind of... Uh, <laughs> kind of... Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, well, it's a beautiful year to make a film about who we are and where we come from. Um, NITV and... Um, had wanted to make um, this series. So they were talking to us last year about it. You, you know this better than me. Mm. I was still under the doona. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it sort of started, I would say, late... What are we in, 2017? Late 2015. And there was talk of the 50-year anniversary of the 1967 referendum coming up and what are we going to do about it? And... NITV wanted to uh, create a series of films that put this question up on the national kind of agenda again, especially if there was going to be another referendum, which is a whole other story. Um, and sort of took us to them, really, because they put out an uh, invitation for Indigenous filmmakers to pitched to them what they called epic landmark films that would not directly address anything about 50 years or the constitution referendum, but simply get um, a conversation going about how far have we come, what's changed, what hasn't changed, where are we at? Uh, and, yeah, I guess, you know, we were both reached out to as part of that. And to be really honest with you, films especially films of, you know, features, generally take years and years and years to develop, get financed, get in the can, work out the distribution. And there was an initiative announced between NITV and Screen Australia that said, put your, put your ideas in, 
we'll make them next year, we'll screen them in 2017. So, you know, we were one of the films that got um, chosen for that and, you know, it was Warwick's idea and what I love about Warwick is that his ideas are um, very bold and very sharp and in a way very simple but um, this is a sort of a mosaic or a framework to examine a very complex set of issues. Um, so you can sort of pitch the film in one sentence and immediately think, oh, I can imagine all the questions that film would raise. And Warwick didn't have the answers to almost any of the questions, but it was a clear start to a journey that would have some sort of um, sustenance and some sort of payoff at the end of it. So really, unusually for filmmakers, we were financed... We actually got cash flow probably in May last year, started shooting in June, and here we are a year later, which is unbelievably quick for a feature-length film. What do you think that speed did to the film? Because it is unbelievably quick. <laughs> um, it kind of designed... And Brendan brought it up, because, you know, um, Fast and Furious, but... It designed a way, we, we, the way we kind of made it, and it was Brendan's idea, and it was, it was so perfect. Let's just go and do a shitload of interviews um, with people that we want to talk to, people who are aligned, or we think are aligned with the way we believe and dream, in a way. And part of the research, um, the kind of the only, the only thing that I said in, when we started the research was I, that not a single frame of this film will be given to a racist, to someone who has a platform of, of who, who feeds and lives off of that, that world, you know. I want to talk to people that actually I want to cuddle, not people I want to punch, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, but, you know, and I'm not a violent person. I love, I love cuddles. We would have had so many insurance issues if that had to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the only rule, really, but... And when we started, and Brendan brought this up, let's just go and do all the interviews with all the people we want to talk about who are really interesting and have really amazing worldly views on this and, and are not just total lefties or whatever, but actually go, well, no, people have a right to, you know, to, to speak their mind on that. You know what I mean? Like really, really beautiful people. And, but let's do it once and then start cutting and then let's go back and do it again. Go back to the same people again, but come back with a much more, we know what we're talking about now kind of interviewee, you know what I mean? We didn't know what we were talking about really at the beginning. And that was good because it was free to just have a wonderful conversation and learn. They were sussing me out just as much as I was sussing them out. You know, like who, you know, you know who, who am I just as much as I'm like, who, who are they? And then, then come back with much more specific questions months and months later, you know, which is, I, I think, the the best way for us to do it. And then it come, even though it was longer in a way, it actually focused us much more. Do you mean everyone in the film? Pretty much, eh? Hey, pretty much. Quite a few, yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. a couple of people. I mean, we didn't. just needed to get to first base, really, to work out. I mean, any, it's funny. I look back on our early treatments that we wrote before we started shooting and, you know, we didn't really know exactly what form the film was going to take. On the other hand, I look at the film now, I think, oh, this is exactly what we said we'd do, you know. You just don't quite know how you're going to get there. And there's always a scary moment, a third or a halfway in, where you're thinking, what, what have we done, you know? Like, how's this all going to come together? We've got this really crazy rock and roll stuff, and then we've got these bush 
you know, toys and there's puppetry, and then we've got this really serious political stuff. I mean, how is this ever going to be in the same film? But you just, you know, Warwick and, and Andrew, the editor, just did a lot of time in the edit suite to make it happen. No, she did. Andrea made this film. <laughs> is Andrea here? No. Nah. Nah. Andrea. You told her she couldn't come, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about me. <laughs> what about you? Um, Even though you did all the work. I do love... I mean, even though you say you only wanted people in that you wanted to cuddle, I do love the diversity of people in the film and I wonder how you actually did find them. There was... was, There's there's all the rock stars that I love. You know what I mean? You know, there's the, the... You know, Jared from The Drones, you know, Briggsy, all the naughty people. And then there's, then there's the professors. And, you know, someone like Romaine Morton, who's in the film, is, you know, is just an oracle to me. I, you know, every time I have a conversation with her, and I've known her for a very long time, I've shot all her short films, desperate to have her in it, because she has this, it's just, you know, I, you know, just, just buying, you know, ordering off a menu with her is a, is a, is a, is a you know, a life-changing experience. <laughs> Do you really want the, the spaghetti bolognese work? Because I think, <laughs> but so you know that that was. But we had an incredible um, researcher. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. Braithwaite. And her her brief was no racist. That's basically it, you know. Um, and she just she just kept giving us all these amazing people, and she read all their books, and I didn't. You know what I mean? And then she would. And then she'd say, this person is amazing because of this, this and this, you know. And I'd go, oh, awesome. So I'd walk in like I knew what I was talking about, basically. And all I wanted was a hug. <laughs> was anyone left on the cutting room floor? Oh. Uh, Not really, eh? Or, no, um, Abdullah Abdullah, the amazing artist. Uh, him and, and a guy named Craig... Um, Anderson? Craig Anderson, who was a, who was a policeman who um, there was a policeman who during the Cronulla riots sort of um, sort of basically saved a lot of people's lives in the, in that mob rule world with a baton um, and, and you know protecting one person against thirty people with a, with a stick and then he basically got sacked from the police force for excessive violence. Um, and Abdullah painted him last year at the Archibalds and, you know, it's hung. It's a very beautiful painting. So I did an interview with both of them on a bus at five in the morning on the way to Cronulla. You know, the sort of public transport idea of how to, how, to, how, to, how to have a riot. You know, we've got such a great public transport system if we ever want to go and bash up people. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and that never really made it. That's the only one. Mm. It was actually pretty good for a feature doc in terms of usually we'd shoot a lot more. I mean, obviously we, we took only sort of certain parts of what people said, but um, and that's one thing that, you know, as a filmmaker myself, watching Warwick work, um, he was very specific about what he wanted from every scene that he shot, um, both in terms of the interviews and um, the... Uh, you know, the sequences. And I remember one of the interviews, because I, you know, had been making another film at the same time with Nick, the same sound recordist, and those interviews that we did on the other film were often an hour long. 
and Nick commented me commented to me after one of the shoots with Warwick, which was D, the advertising executive, saying, "Mate, that interview was four minutes long. <laughs> like he literally had. I mean, they weren't all that short, absolutely, but um, to me, it just spoke a lot about." Warwick's clarity of vision about kind of going in and having, you know, a sort of a, a certain subject that, you know, we want to talk to such a person about. And Dee's, you know, Dee's in the film talking about the advertising of, you know, Stop the Boats and, you know, the kind of Greek philosophical basis for some of the advertising philosophy. And you wouldn't, you know, we use most of what she said. Yeah. Um, but it just, yeah, that was, that was an interesting experience for me to watch. But I feel like I'm getting mixed messages here because... You led me to believe you weren't sure what you were doing at the beginning, or are we talking about the second interviews being four minutes long? Uh, I don't know. We're just full of shit. We're just dickheads. Don't worry about it. I think Warwick says he didn't know what he was doing a lot of the time, and a lot of filmmakers might say that as an exploration. Self, self deprecation. Whatever that. Self deprecation. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Right, so. <laughs> One of the reviews called him self deprecating, so that's his new thing. He's very proud of is how self deprecating he is. Yeah. Well, that's, that's affirmation of being a dickhead, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not going here. So I feel as though I've heard a lot of Indigenous stories where, you know, things come down out of the sky, but that sort of look up that there is so much of in the film it was just really, really powerful. And I just wonder why you think not, not so many sky stories, sky-based stories are out there. I, I, I don't know. I don't know many, you know what I mean? Those, those two stories, um, I didn't know about, you know. This country, this country was the biggest multicultural country before Cook and Philip came anywhere near here. Mm. 600 languages. Each of these languages is, is, is a culture, it's a bloody religion, you know what I mean? Literally, there's 600 of them, you know what I mean? That's, it's, and I, I, I don't know how, you know, I'm Aboriginal and I, I know nothing about my own people because I don't know nothing about, you know, I know a bit about the desert and I know, I know, I know a fair bit about my tribe, the Kadish, but I don't know fuck all about the rest of them, you know what I mean, really. So, you know, every time I do a film, it's such a wonderful journey and I learn more about who I am. Yeah. I so, you know, so all that, you know, there's so many different stories about the sky, you know, and we forget how many different nations there were they there are here you know you know when you're kids and you have to do that thing where you're all in a room and you whisper a story in each other's ear and when it comes out the other end it's really different yeah the chinese whisper yeah is that the same with indigenous stories i've always wanted no. to ask someone that <laughs> no well see that whole written history and that whole idea see this this that whole oral history the concept of oral history is basically what's used in the court of law to say that indigenous people are full of shit you know what I mean? And they don't know anything about their own, you know what I mean? Because it's oral and it has that Chinese whisper concept. So if there was a massacre in the 1910 or in 1820, well, the oral history that we have about that massacre is not, it cannot be used uh, to create a, a, a true representation of what actually happened because it's got Chinese whispers in it. We say 20 people, women and children were slaughtered well, that's obviously been exaggerated over the generations, which is kind of a natural progression, but where we come from as an oral history-based um, you know, society or cultures, 
that was the most important thing to us. Memory was power. Memory was actually the way that we became seniors in a way. Our memory was the most important thing we had. In the desert, if you didn't know the song line, the songs to travel with, because they're all based on waterholes, mountains, rivers, soakages, all that kind of stuff, you would die. You know what I mean? If you didn't listen to the song and you didn't remember the song line, well, travelling from A to B, you would not find the next piece of water or hunting ground and basically you'd all die. So this is how important mm. memory and knowledge, head-based knowledge is. So that's why right from the beginning, the day you were born, the most important thing you could have as an Indigenous person was your, your memory and to keep that alive, keep the songs alive, keep language alive. But it's sort of belittled today as sort of a Chinese whisper, mm. which is sad. Is it overwhelming how many Indigenous stories you could tell from your position as a filmmaker, as a well-known yeah, filmmaker? Yeah, there's too many. Well, yeah, I don't try not to get, you know, you know, it's sort of, for me, I don't know, that's a really weird one to, there's too many. But they're really important because they're dying, you know, that mm. knowledge, that, that, those memories are dying, you know, as, as we become different Indigenous people. Mm. Because back then, that's what you had. You didn't. We weren't worried about an iPad or a phone or where, where we're going to get the rent. You know, we were worried about what we remember and and how it correlates to how we're going to eat. So, back then, that was the most important thing. And that's and but but the pressures of today um, aren't the pressures of, of 200 years ago. Indigenous people today are very different to who we were pre-colonisation, but we still are Aboriginal and, and we still are, um, we are still part of this country, you know what I mean? But back, back then the pressures were very different to the pressures of what, you know, Indigenous... It was, it's, it's the same with, with all, all humans, different pressures. Now memory's not that important because, you've, you know, you, you, nowadays you go, oh, who's that actor that, uh, who was in that film? And then someone fucking Googles it. You know what I mean? You don't need to remember who that actor was. Yeah. But back then, if you didn't remember who that actor was, well, you actually probably didn't get any water and you would have died. <laughs> and we couldn't Google it. Can we bring it back to the filmmaking? At the beginning, Brendan, you talked about um, the different aspects being quite... You know, you wondered how you'd get them all into the same film. For the filmmakers in the room, was there a way you decided to, you know, solve that problem, if it's probably not the best way to put it, but do you know what I mean? There, well, there was a, I'd have what I liked, and Brendan would have what he liked, and there was what Andrea liked as well, and we kind of, something that I wanted wasn't sometimes necessarily um, good for the film, really, eh? <laughs> That probably goes for all of us, but I suppose it's just the creative process where, you know, as Warwick said, we all had parts that we liked. Um, and firstly, I'd say there's stuff that we all liked very strongly, the bush toys probably being number one in that category, um, which is a whole other thing we can talk about. But I would say more than that, it's just about subjecting yourself to the process of the editing 
journey, which is really the writing journey when it comes to docos. And I was thinking about this before. Um, we knew, for example, we wanted to talk to an astronomer, you know, a scientist about the really kind of cold, hard facts. And we knew we wanted to tell a story of colonisation. And there was um, a moment where Dwayne, at the very beginning of the film, says, oh, well, you know, they're, they're up there. They've been up there for about 320 years. And Warwick said, sort of, oh, well, it's about the same as colonisation, isn't it? That, you know... And then straight away that transitions to the, the sequence of the Captain Cook landing with that kind of rock and roll, you know, punk um, tuck shop song. And those structural decisions or those structural kind of choices determine your, which, which way you go on some material. So there might have been other stuff that Dwayne said um, that we would love to use, but instinctually you feel like the cut, the cut needs to move on, we need to go to the next section... Mm-hmm. And we need to set a tone of um, where are we going next in this goddamn film, which is, yeah. which is important to us to keep the... We, we, we knew from the very outset, stylistically, the film had to be really bold, really fresh. We wanted to appeal to schools and young people, which is another conversation. So we knew that it had to kind of keep being surprising and keep being, um, you know, original in its energy. So that's probably the best way to answer that question, is that you would come up with these choices where no matter how much you like this moment or that moment, that's what the film, that's where the film needed to go next. Yeah, and, and like, you know, the, the, talking to the Jungles and the Jungles saying, you know, well, it's a canoe, you know, and it's a canoe that the, the ancestors and the dead are travelling from, you know, from A to B when, they, when they're going to, you know, the Jungle version of heaven, you know, that's, it's, it's the one that does that. And it's like, oh my God, it's a bloody boat. Well, let's hold back on that and let's start talking about boats and let's talk to Dee about how you know, a certain government started this campaign. They, you know, they got into power by using the words children overboard, but then they knew that that was actually really derogative, is it, you know what I mean? So let's actually make it, a, call, it call it Stop the Boats, which is an inanimate object, but let's hold back that actually there's all these connections about boats happening in this film to do with the Southern Cross, you know, and Cook followed it, everyone followed this. There's people right now, you know, in the Timor Sea, follow, on a boat, trying to get to this country, using the Southern Cross as a beacon of hope. The Jungles, you know what I mean? And then suddenly all we want to do is stop all these boats, you know what I mean? It's kind of... So there's wonderful connections, but then it's finding the way of holding back, rather than just sort of regurgitating and it's this big mess that people will only connect a little bit to. It's sort of like, how do we gently place that and weave that, the idea of boats... Um, boats and borders, in a way, through a whole film, 80 minutes, rather than, oh, here's the boat section. Mm. Yeah. Tell us more about the wire toys. I haven't seen them. You haven't used them in your films before, have you? No. Tell us about where you met those guys and whether they were central to the film from fairly early on. Well, um, all my cousins make those little toys and they have these exhibitions and they've been around for a long time I just love them you know what I mean it's, it's the child in me as well as it shows an amazing kind of it's just a, for me it's an amazing way to show history and I'd never worked out a way to use them hey? and you know and I always wanted to make a feature cowboy movie just with those you know what I mean sort of you know a western but with wide you could toys. do like Team Australia instead of Team America yeah yeah Team Australia um, so and it was kind of like, how, how, you know, and history's history. And, you know, we've, we've, we've seen that pre-Michael Moore, but the, that kind of cutting, going to, going to little animations to, to, to create some form of history, telling a bit of history 
you know, and but it worked really, really well with, um, you know, Michael Moore's been very good at doing that. And I was going, well, I don't, you know, I don't have the patience for animation, you know, sort of like, because someone else would have to do it because I don't have the patience. And then it'd take them a couple of months and then I'd be pulling my hair out and, was, you know, and I'd always wondered how the hell I could do something with the Bush Toys mob. And I was like, you know, one plus one and... I remember when, because you, you were like, oh, okay, when I first, I sort of, Mom, we should use bush toys. You know, like, ah. Yeah, very, maybe first up, because yeah. I didn't really get it, but. Only because I didn't explain it. <laughs> we're using bush I toys, think, and we're going to use bush toys, yeah, yeah. Call, call them. I think when you Stop. showed me what they were, which I'd never heard of them, to be honest, um, and then I kind of realised that it would be Warwick. I think what you did is you sent me a, um, a little version of it on your phone, which is like at is out the back in Alice at the at, the, at your spot there yeah. on the table, and there was like the shot of the table with like a coffee cup and whatever, and then Warwick's hand just kind of came in, duk, 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 duk. hey, what you doing in my country? Duk, 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 duk. <laughs> and I just oh, at that moment I kind of got it, where yeah. I kind of felt like because we had talked about telling these sort of history sections with animation, and we had this little part of the budget said animation, and neither of us really wanted to do animation, <laughs> yeah. but it seemed to be. It seemed that we knew it needed another format of some sort. And then when I saw that little duk 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 scene, I just sort of thought, what's great about this is that it's all Warwick. You know, it's his voice, it's his hands, he's authoring it. He's sort of, and it's also really quick too. Like we could shoot a scene in a minute and a half. Yeah. And, a lot of, and, and which suits him really well. Yeah. And uh, we could shoot a lot of material without even really, you know, you'd be going, oh, well, you know, we have the Endeavour and it's got like, you know, fuck off, we're full on it and it's doing donuts around the refugee ship and oh, hang on, hang on, let me just write this down, bush toys, you know. Yeah. Um, but that sort of um, uh, excitement that Warwick had and the fact that they were such, and then the fact that when I found out that they were made by this mob in Tichikala outside of Alice who make them out of um, rubbish tips, you know, stuff that di- discarded cars and microwaves and whatever. It just, oh, oh like, yeah. shut, shut, shut shop, let's yeah. go shoot it, you know. It's just yeah. that metaphorically and just, just all tied together really well. And then, you know, the beautiful conversation with Professor Gassan, who, you know, I'll, I'll cover him forever. Because he talks about, you know, society likes to what it likes to do with Indigenous. When, it, when, when Indigenous people become a little bit too hard in the too hard basket, they like to just put it out the back like a truck and let it rot. You know what I mean? And just let it, you know, and hopefully it'll just rot away. And, and he had that conversation and then it was just like, well, that connection to those old men who just go to the dump, to these just rotting cars, and then they turn those rotting cars into these amazing works of art. You know, they're called bush toys, but they're actually they're pure art. You know, and they're pure art connected to their memories and their oral history of who they were, you know, they, you know all that kind of stuff. So that was just an awesome con- you know, connection. So we shot that later. Hey, it's like we got all the toys off them and we talked to them about that. But then it's like we should... And him saying that, I was like, well, we should actually go back out there and then and film them collecting the, you know, the, the copper wire from the cars and the... The, the broken old cafe TVs and that, you know, to make these toys and make that connection, you know. So, so there's, you know, repercussions, conversations, you know, like anything. You, someone says something and you go, well, let's go back. I want to, you know, rebuild this whole idea around what someone said. He talked an awful lot of sense, didn't he? Oh, God. 
when, <laughs> when he was talking about the people who are protesting are actually like stuffing up Australia, the Australia they say that they live in, was just very potent to me. And yeah, um, well, what do you call a, what do you call someone who's acting like an idiot on a on a on a beach? A fuckwit. I know that was pretty so simple, funny. eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's coming from a professor who spent his whole life, you know what I mean? Sort of, you know, indigenous and cultural and ethnocentric and not nah, fuckwits. Yeah. I love that. That's my kind of conversation. But it's got echoes of terrorism now, isn't it? You just a lot of things that are happening. You just go, well. The guy's very, very troubled. It's yeah, it's, absolutely. You know, and a stolen country. You know what I mean? It's sort of like you know what I mean. It's sort of like, you know, the, that that sort of what do you you know, um, you know, news un New Zealanderish, <laughs> but un Australian and un American are very, very clear. But they're pretty well, pretty well. Some of the only two countries, big kind of even the forefront kind of countries that are actually were partnership to theft, you mm. know. Mm. And we all get over that now, but it's just, it's just to remind ourselves that we are un because, you know, and it's like me going, don't touch my car, and, and you saying to me, well, you actually stole it. It's like, yeah, I don't care, but still don't touch my car, even though I, I stole he's it. saying that like he's got a car. Yeah, I don't have a car. <laughs> Tell me a bit more about the the dirt paintings, which I thought were just um, just amazing. I'd never seen it before. Is it co you know common? Is it no? Well, it is if you if you're privy to male or female initiation in the in the in the desert, it's very common. But it's something that you won't see very often because it's got a lot to do with that. Um, so that was kind of, it was very difficult, very, very difficult. It's a really good example of we knew that we would get something special if we spent a couple of days with those old men, but we had no idea what it was. And they couldn't even really, I mean, we, we went up and had a chat to them, but they could almost not even really tell us what it meant. But... Warwick's decision to film the process and just yarn with them and then eventually he joins in with the process as well. And we didn't, we just had to commit the time. Um, and, and, and maybe believe that it's just going to be right off. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Yeah, with the full knowledge that we might have nothing usable on this because we found out pretty early on that it's off the record material, that anything connected to the Southern Cross is so powerful that we actually can't tell you anything about it. But we can but come up for a few days and hang out and bring the crew and, you know. Yeah. So you just sort of hold your breath and go, sure, let's shoot it. And it's, and that, I suppose that, that's just a, you know, an example of the kind of trust and instinct that you, that you and the gamble, I suppose, that you have to take. Meaning that they changed their minds or? No, they just hadn't worked out what they were going to show us at that time. They were trying desperately to make connections to help us, but they, they hadn't worked out what, how they could help us. But, but this is the time slot, and this is where we will try and help you, and to just come up, and we'll try, but there's no, you know. Can we just go through some nuts and bolts things? How many days did you shoot for? Where? 
that kind of thing? I think it was about seven weeks in the day. And like Warwick said, we did three weeks of an initial run and then went to the edit suite for, geez, I'd say three months or two months or like a really good stint in the edit suite. And then back again for another probably two weeks after that, back to the edit suite again and right up until, you know, we'd had screenings and rough cuts for the investors and so forth and we went back for a final a final whack at a few missing pieces by then. So it's about seven weeks all up. And that's from, I mean, obviously the interviews are basically the capital cities, Sydney, Melbourne mainly, and then the Northeast Arnhem Land mob who tell the story of the Julpan canoe and Noikul, mm-hmm. the Noikul fish is in Yirrkala, just outside Yirrkala. And then the, uh, the desert mob, Warwick's mob, down in um, the Walpuris, down outside of Alice Springs. And then Bill Harney and Catherine, he's about 170 k's outside Catherine. And he's, he's just amazing, Bill. He's uh, a waterman elder. And again, went back to him probably three times um, through, that, through that process. Well, there's one, the catfish, the bloody catfish. Well, the catfish has got a southern cross uh, in a bone and it's yeah, connected like to it. Like etching of the actual cross like on its skull. skull. It's like when you, when you see a, a catfish, it's got a proper, like a, almost like a Art Deco, one, eh? Like yeah. an oldie world. Like you would think someone had sculpted a Renaissance crucifix on the catfish's... Which is connected to the Southern Cross. So, okay, geniuses. Let's go. Let's, we're going to go back and we're going to do the whole catfish thing. Do you think we could catch one cat? <laughs> Every time you're trying to catch a barramundi, all you catch is catfish. Yeah. And, and then, then here we are trying to catch a goddamn catfish. And all you can get is barramundi. <laughs> <laughs> Not even... It was perfect. It's like, nah, nah, we're not going there anymore. You know, that's the... I had to let that one go. Mm. Um, so NITV commissioned these to celebrate war, well, not to, well, probably to celebrate the, refer- the referendum. That, yeah. yeah. I'm just wondering if you mind talking about what you hope happens in the proposed referendum with the constitutional referendum. Oh, you're killing on. me. Oh, no. <laughs> You know what? You know what? I want it all, and I want it now. <laughs> I'll have it all. I'll just just hand it all over. Thank you. Pretty simple, eh? Hey, you know what? We can send someone to the moon. We can get an, we can get a rubber, and erase a little bit of the constitution and rewrite it, eh? Pretty simple. No, not that simple. <laughs> it's difficult. Everything's difficult. Everything's difficult. It's like, um, if you wanted to if you wanted to do a a treaty. Uh, in Australia, it'd be like going to Europe and going, okay, we're going to do a treaty with Europe, so what's good for the French is good for the Italians. Now, that's not going to work, is it? That's just ridiculous. <laughs> that's reality. Well, that's exactly the same here. So, but, but I, I'm still working... Uh, I'm still trying to swim through the, that, that, that world... This is a magic wand. All I can say I give is, it to you. What nah, do you want to happen? Well, I own it now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> no? No? <laughs> Why not? No, you can't have that. <laughs> Go on, Brendan. I'm going to write a constitution. I think all I'd say is that we like making films that put these questions out there and create 
a conversation about this. I don't, I don't want to speak for Warwick, but I know I don't feel very comfortable reckoning my opinion is worth anything, but, um, or even doing the research or the thought behind that because, to be honest, getting this film this far has taken <laughs> most of my available brain space. He had really long hair before we started. I did, <laughs> I did, it's, he's not lying. Um, but I would say that, um, at the very least, it's not right how it is and has yeah. obviously been not right since the beginning. So can we please try and sort something out and stop making it a political football game? Boom. See? I'll have, the, I'll have that. <laughs> yeah. We're not that intelligent and we're still trying oh, to work out... Oh, come on. on. Yeah. And there's smarter people to ask that question to. Maybe Professor Gassan and Romain Morton. Yeah. This is another filmmaker-y question. What's it like kind of looking after all your equipment in conditions like that? Or are you going to... What was that look for? I, I like to break things. Right. Like, seriously, I like to break things. I, I have, I have a, a, the most abusive relationship with cameras. I don't care if they get full of water and dust and, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. Brandon? I, 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 I think the only thing that we broke on this shoot, as far as I'm aware, um, not speaking spiritually, um, <laughs> is one of the lenses, or even actually one of the filters, when Wok was filming the uh, Neukel fish, the um, kingfish getting, you know, that angle grinder that was creating the sculpture out of the mm -hmm. metal. And as... Warwick was just talking about his fearless um, approach to the camera, getting cl as close as possible. Do you even know this? You wouldn't even know this, eh? No, no one yeah. told me. Okay. That's why he's breaking things because no one tells him. Yeah. Um, is I think, yeah, I think some of the angle grinder sparks marked our lens. So I think we did pretty well. And the cameras are basically getting so good now. I mean, the digital, the digital thing was tricky the change to digital from film has been tricky because really the old film cameras, you could just, you know, take it apart, hose it out almost, you know, certainly blow it out. Whereas now it's all chips and cards and if you get a bit of dust or if you get a, you know, if there's humidity. It makes you, actually the biggest problem we had was when it, a little temperature, you see this red temperature gauge flashing like on your car mm. and it overheats and it just cuts out completely. That's probably the, probably the, um, the biggest challenge we had gear-wise. It looks so beautiful. And I wondered about the difficulty of getting those sky shots. My son. Ah. Yeah. My son, who, who, who uh, I don't know if anybody, he, he, he won Best Docker here a couple of years ago. Um, Buckskin. Mm. Um, he won't take my name, but his, his name is Dylan River. Who calls, who calls their sons Dylan River? That's such a wanker name. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's, and, um, he's, um, he's very empowering and he's, he's, I, he just annoys the shit out of me. But he's so awesome that he's he sort of like... So he goes off and, and he did all the time lapses. He did all, every wonderful shot in that film he shot, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would. It was so important to Warwick to have this film be um, visually a statement, and the punk rock thing was always part of it. 
I've never seen anyone care less about how good a film looks, you know. I mean, I, I, I say that sounds like a weird thing to say, but I think we had one light in a few interviews and um, I think also Warwick's just innately very talented about composition and so forth. But there was so little faffing with a frame or a composition or whatnot. It was really just all about um, being in the right moment for the people we're talking to. So what's really interesting is that we find ourselves in this position now where it's opening night film and, and you look at it and go, geez, actually that looks pretty bloody good. But there was no department of, there was no lighting department. Quality control. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just, I can't really explain it really. We, 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 we came into it with handmade. Yeah, that's right. Handmade. It had to look handmade. Right. Yeah. And you know, Dylan's freaking out because you know, that we've got Toyota, you know, doing a time lapse and there's torches and Toyotas flying everywhere. And I'm like, no, that's actually what we want. Mm. And you know, the idea that even if the camera fell over and it kept time lapsing, but it was on the same, mm, tick, 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 tick. <laughs> I, I was happy with that. You know what I mean? But there was, there was quality control, but the quality control was to make it look like we did not give a shit. So that's kind of control, quality control in a way. The more crazy, the more overexposed, iris, out of focus, in focus, let me settle down, I'm hot and sweaty, okay, let's do an interview, kind of idea, um, NDs going in and out, all that kind of stuff was all part of the, part of the process in a way, hey. I suppose it's just about, um, there was no um, wall between the filmmaker and the audience. So you, you saw actually the ND filters coming, you see Warwick sit down, oh, okay, yeah, this looks good. Like just, I suppose there was an authenticity and honesty to that, which we never even really talked about. We just knew that's how it should be. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what feels beautiful about the film, is that you are so on this journey um, without any fabrication. I mean, every film is a fabrication, but without any extra faffing. Yeah, you know, like we, we were talking about the animation and that idea of creating the animations and having that budget but having no actual script for it, no idea of what we were going to do. And, you know, coming up with ideas, it's like, well, we're going to have to show the Southern Cross, you know, and we've, but like an animation version of the Southern Cross. So, so and just, so we, we computer-generated stuff, we were going, oh, that, that could be a good idea. And then it was kind of like, no, actually, I'll get a black piece of cardboard and a pen and then just punch, put it up against the lens looking at the sun and then just punch holes in it and you'll see the Southern Cross revealed, which is the opening of it, which is just a piece of cardboard and, and, a, and, a, and a lead pencil going doink, 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 you know what I mean? And that was much more fun, you know? And that doesn't sound like a beautiful idea, but it is rather arresting way to open a film. And then seeing, seeing the hand come off and then, you know, we do the opening sequence, yeah. And trying to, I don't know, sort of, a bit wanky, but kind of, Trying to, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we just did it with a, you know, a pencil and a piece of black cardboard, yeah. <laughs> but that was so liberating compared to the feature dramas and, you know, Warwick as a cinematographer has done lots of big stuff as well. I think it was so, he was really happy, you know, he was really excited to do things quickly and not think about them too much and that's all part of the energy that flows yeah. through And then hand it over to poor old Andrea and then for Andrea to make sense of it all, which is... And then come back after, you know, so have you done anything? And it's like, half the film's amazing. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> no, not really. She, she's just incredible. I've, that woman is unbelievable. I've never worked with her before, and it's just like, just absolute. And, you know, I'm not shitting on the other editors I've ever worked with, 
But she's such a revelation. She just saved my ass in every, you know. When I've got it, I'm, I'm, just, looking, I'm just looking at shit and she's looking at diamonds, you know what I mean? Because she can see beyond. She can see the bigger picture, the bigger story. And I was just sort of like, oh, I look fat in that scene. <laughs> 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 can we use the close-up? Because I've got that beer belly happening, you know. Which is, you know. Anyway. Did you talk about how much you would be in the film from mm. early on? Mm. Here's a great conversation. Uh, uh, yeah, see, it's pretty, it's a typical filmmaker. Hey, you're going to hear something amazing, <laughs> which is what I hate. Okay, I, 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 I hate films where the filmmaker right at the beginning goes, yeah, g'day. I'm going to take you on a journey and tell you something that you don't know, and I'm so fucking amazing. You know what I mean? And this is a lot, of, and as soon as I see a film like that, you know, it's a documentary, I just go, oh, wanker. You know? Sugar Man, beautiful film, but fuck that, the beginning of that is terrible with the, with the you know, the, you know, Rodriguez. It's like, we, well, we all know who the fuck Rodriguez is, and I know where he lives. So what, you know what I mean? But it's not, oh, I'm going to find him. You know, anyway, but it's a beautiful film. I love Sugar Man, but the beginning of that really pissed me off. I will never make a film like that, ever. Uh-uh. Look what happened. G'day, I'm Warwick Thornton. How are you? I'm going to take you on, a, I'm take you on this fucking journey of something that you don't know anything about. It's like, oh, how painful. That was... I, yeah. It, it didn't get straight to that point, though. It took... We had lots of conversations yeah. about how much I hate films that open with directors being self-empowered and, and you know, and that... But, and but I think actually part of what makes what actually makes the film work is Warwick and his voice, his it's presence. Fine. I mean, all these disparate elements from the Bush toys to the interview. I mean, even when Warwick's interviewing Professor Kassan or whoever it might be, we hear him. So partly I think it's really important to have his presence in there because it actually binds all these elements together. Mm. And he, he fought it from, from day dot, you know, in terms of exactly what he's saying now. Um, but I suppose in the edit suite... And you know, we eventually kind of got to the point before we... Because even before we started shooting, we had this conversation about how much you're going to be in it and he was very resistant to it for all these reasons. And then Dylan, his son, and I... You know, on the shoot, we're like, oh, he's got to be in it, you know. Also, Warwick's very charismatic, you know. And has I've, a massive ego. And, and, and he works on camera. I'm talking about him like he's not here, but anyway. And um, so there was a lot of reasons that I think everyone around Warwick knew that it would be good for him to have this presence in the film. But at the same time, wait, would I, would I actually want to be all over a film when, when, you know, the last time he said anything about the Southern Cross boom, look what happens, there's a lot of kickback. For good reason, Warwick is very concerned about going to turning that, okay, well, instead of actually not doing that, I'm going to times it by 100 and make it a whole film that I'm in every scene. And, and So we had to sort of just shoot. I mean, a lot of what you see of Warwick behind the camera was shot by Dylan, his son, and we just had this conversation of, well, we'll get the footage in the can, we've got it that way, and in the edit suite, it's going to be Warwick and Andrea's call to see how it feels. And we had an 18-week edit, so... Um, and, in fact, we even took a, a break in that 18 weeks for Warwick to go and shoot another film. This is a whole other story. So we were... Sweet Country, one. big cowboy movie coming out next year. Make sure you go and see it. Okay. Yeah. That's the next one. 
Um, so, but that was amazing because, you know, we were, so I guess we started cutting in July, uh, stopped about October, and then started cutting again in January and finished, we actually only finished about two or three weeks ago. So it was a really long amount of time for Warwick to get around the idea of his presence in the film. This is the last question. Um, well, another bottle of wine, I'll be right. I can keep it up for When, When you were working together, what was the point at which you loved each other the most and you wanted to kill each other the most? There's no killing. We didn't go through the... Unless I kept bludging money off you. I was just like... <laughs> Every time it's in the contract, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you've given me money run. outside. You've given me money outside the contract. <laughs> you have. No, we've had a really good run. And the, the interesting thing is, we, we we're going through this sort of. We did a big tourism commercial a couple of a year ago. More to, together, directing, both directing, um, and we've got these really big ideas of of stuff that we want to do together. And not, not Brendan producing, but, but Brendan directing and I directing and bringing in another producer. Um, and we've, we've, he's had ideas, I've had ideas, and we've kind of, kind of gone, and we kind of have always been on the fringes of each other. Through when Brendan was, Brendan finished Mad Bastards, when I finished Samson and Delilah, and you know, and our short films as well, Caliphate, and you know, and, and Nana, and you know, whatnot. We've always been on the fringes of each other, just sort of met at festivals around the world or, you know, uh, other filmmakers' parties and then, you're gay, mate, how are you? You know? And then we kind of, we both kind of went, well, it'd be nice to do something together. And we kind of, so the last, these films have been kind of working out the relationship in a way and working out what Brendan likes and what I like and what's, 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 what's wrong with Brendan and what's wrong with me, you know, as humans, not as filmmakers because um, we've got bigger pictures that we want to do together and so it's sort of you know, you know foreplay I guess sort of <laughs> I suppose what I'd say is that we bring different things but share a really common vision and that 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 kind of conversation Warwick talked about we were both approached by Tourism Australia separately to direct a commercial for Aboriginal experiences that sold Aboriginal tourism experiences to the world. And we were in at the Adelaide Film Festival, yeah. Adelaide Arts Festival or something? That was Tanitha, or, yeah. It was yeah. The arts one, so yeah. we both had these film art things in, um, actually you had f- photographs. But anyway, we were both at the same place at the same time, catching up, having a beer. What are you up to? Oh, I've just been asked to pitch on a commercial. I've just been asked to pitch on a commercial too. Oh, what's your commercial you're pitching on? You know, Australian yeah, tourism. Well. Oh, mine too. Oh, oh, that's a bit <laughs> embarrassing. And then, you know, to his credit, Warwick straight away said, well, why don't we go for it together, bro? You know, we'll probably get it. And... Um, hey, I was just backing myself. He's, he's done a lot of amazing commercials and I've never done one. <laughs> but I'm the black fella who's done no commercials and he's the white fella who's done shitloads of really good commercials. <laughs> I, should, I should hang off his coattails for them. <laughs> Uh, which is another way of saying that we bring different qualities, but we share <laughs> the same absolute vision. They've made a beautiful film. Please thank them for talking to thank us. You for thank you.
Thanks, everyone. And uh, I really appreciate you coming today. And just so you know, the, the um, film's going to be on telly in July, July 23rd, NITV and SBS. And uh, probably our biggest hope is that next year this gets into the curriculum in schools. So that's actually really the main kind of audience that we're hoping to talk to with this film. So if anyone wants to get involved or anything like that, you can go to the website and contact us. But just, so, just to keep, keep putting it out there is that we feel like this is a great conversation starter and we should start that conversation as young as possible. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Reverse Shot. For more news about this week's guest, plus where to watch their films, visit sff.org.au. And tune in next time for another special presentation from Sydney Film Festival's archives.